Do you find yourself searching for true crime podcasts that are different from what you're always recommended? Do you want to make a real difference in the cases that you're following? Well, you're a crime junkie. And I'm Ashley Flowers the creator and host of the number one true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. There are hundreds of episodes already available, and each Monday we dive into the details of cases spanning from some of the most infamous to those that you have never heard covered before. Listen to Crime Junkie podcast now, wherever you're listening. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Our card this week is Tira Snyder, the Jack of Hearts from Washington. The afternoon of July 1st, 1985 was supposed to be a mundane Monday for Tira Snyder. The 19-year-old wife and mother was going to run some errands and make dinner before her husband got home from work. But nothing that day went as planned. And Dave Snyder would never get another mundane day with his wife again. I'm Ashley Flowers. And this is The Deck. It was around 8 p.m. on a Monday, and Dave Snyder was at the tail end of a long drive home after an even longer day of work. While driving through the hills and trees between Bellevue and Lake Rosiger, where he lived, Dave was listening to the Seattle Mariners game on his boombox. Not his car radio, his boombox. Hello, 1985. The game was just getting good as Dave pulled into his driveway, but that's when he noticed something strange. His wife, Tira, had parked in his spot. Tira usually parked in the spot closer to the house because it was easier to get their baby in and out of the car. And there was something else he noticed. The downstairs window of the garage was left open and the screen inside the window had been fully removed. Dave wasn't freaking out at first because he just assumed that Tira locked herself out and had to remove the window screen to get inside. But that rationale vanished when Dave approached the house and saw that the door was also wide open. And not far away from that doorway is the dining room where he sees Tira on the ground and thinks maybe she's fallen down. And so he goes over to check on her and realizes that she's gravely injured. And he immediately is concerned for the whereabouts of 
their six-month-old daughter, Molly. That's Detective Dave Billu with the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office. He said Dave couldn't find the baby anywhere in the house, so he ran back outside where he found Molly, still sitting in her car seat. It was after finding Molly that Dave called 911. He told the dispatcher that his wife may have fallen, but he couldn't tell exactly what her injuries were. He just knew that she needed help because she was unresponsive. So the county officials followed their typical protocol for a call like this, and they informed the local fire department and EMTs. When first responders arrived minutes later, they found Tira on her back with her hair covering her face, and there was blood on one of her shoulders and torso. As they got a little closer, they could tell that Tira hadn't fallen. She had been shot multiple times. So they immediately called the sheriff's office, and after they arrived, the EMTs on the scene took Molly to a nearby volunteer fire station while investigators tried to calm Dave down. He was absolutely distraught. He tried to provide, you know, as much information as he could. One of the responding sheriff's office personnel had to write a statement for him that night. He was just, he was incapable of writing a statement. He was blaming himself. If, you know, if, if I had not, you know, worked late, if I had not, you know, had a beer with my coworker at that side job, you know, I would have been home. This wouldn't have happened. Investigators called Dave's dad, Donald, to come be with his son. But before authorities could notify the rest of Tira's family, a car pulled up to the house. It was Tira's brother, Brett, and her mom, Marlene. They decided to check on Tira after not being able to get a hold of her earlier in the evening. Here's Marlene recalling that day. That night, I kept trying to call her, and uh, her phone was busy and busy for hours and hours. And so my son, Brett, and I got in the car and drove to her home. And um, that's when all the police cars were around there. And then the policeman came up and asked who I was and told me. While Tira's family was trying to come to terms with all of this, officials got to work searching the scene. The Snyders were in the middle of construction to their house, so the outside had things like dirt mounds and wood planks and whatnot sitting around, which made the task of looking for things that might be out of place a little more difficult. Investigators did isolate four shell casings, but as it would turn out, they weren't from the events that killed Tira. Dave's dad, Donald, said that he and Dave had just done some target shooting in the driveway, and police confirmed that the shell casings did in fact match Donald's revolver, which he turned over to officials. In addition to that, though, they also found a Coors beer can across the street, some tire marks, and a Budweiser beer can near Tira's car. And in her car, they found her keys, purse, and Molly's diaper bag, as well as some bags of groceries. Now, the inside of the house was pretty orderly for the most part, except for a lamp that was knocked over. But Dave couldn't remember if he knocked it over when he was frantically searching for their baby or if it was like that when he got home. All of the blood around Tira's body was very contained, and there were zero shell casings found near her, only fragments. There were only a couple blood spots found on the carpet just outside of the living room, so those sections of carpet were cut up and collected as evidence. Investigators also noticed that Tira's body was covered in these tiny black particles, which they determined to be unburnt gunpowder residue. They went ahead and collected the residue as best they could, but it's unclear even today if that type of substance holds any actual forensic value. Now, there was one additional grocery bag in the kitchen that matched the one that they found in Tira's car. So that, combined with the fact that Molly was left unharmed inside the car, 
made investigators theorize that Tira had just gotten home and was unloading the groceries when she was attacked. And that, in turn, led them to home in on one potential motive. You know, we theorize, did Tira come home and interrupt a burglary and become a, a homicide victim because of that? The detectives that worked this case very, very hard in the 1990s, that was the theory they worked on. Detectives canvassed the Snyder's neighborhood to try and figure out if anyone heard or saw anything unusual on the afternoon or evening before. And they got their first solid leads this way. The first came from an unidentified witness who said that they had been driving by the Snyder home between 3.45 and 4.15 on July 1st. And that's when they saw an old truck parked there. They said it looked to be a 60s or 70s era white Ford pickup with a red stripe and big tires. Another helpful tip came from another neighbor, a guy named Greg O'Brien. The houses in the Lake Rosiger neighborhood aren't super close together even today. It's a community situated in a circle around this big lake. And Dave and Tira's house was actually up on a hill. But Greg O'Brien would have been one of their closest neighbors. Mr. O'Brien was standing in front of his residence between 5.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. when he thought he heard a girl scream and what sounded like five gunshots. Because of it being the 4th of July holiday, he dismissed the gunshots as firecrackers. And I described earlier the sequence that he thought he heard. Two slow shots followed by three quick ones. That same day they talked to Greg, Tuesday, July 2nd, pathologist Clayton Haberman conducted Tira's autopsy, which to some extent supported what Greg heard. Tira had been shot multiple times. Detective Billu believes Tira's killer shot her several times in the torso and once just above her belly button, but below her sternum, and then kept shooting after Tira fell on the floor. They come back to, if you get shot in the chest or the stomach, are you going to continue to stand upright or are you going to hunch over in pain, which would potentially change the location of the subsequent shots? So we theorize based upon the location of the shots that the ones you see to her torso and then to her face and her head are likely when she's already down on the ground. The exact number of gunshot wounds Tira suffered is off the record. But I can tell you that Tira was shot with a 22 caliber gun and she had no gunshot wounds directly to the back, only exit wounds. So it's assumed that she was attacked from the front. There was also no sign of sexual assault. Tira was fully dressed when Dave found her, save for her shoes, which were sitting neatly at the top of the stairway where Tira usually took them off. The next day, Wednesday, July 3rd, police got a tip from someone who said that they had seen a man standing under the Snyder's deck on the day of the murder. The tipster described the man as white, early to mid-20s, six feet tall, medium build, with a beard and shoulder-length wavy dark brown hair. Police got a sketch artist to work up a composite, and they got a bolo sent out to area patrols that same day. But the third day passed, then the fourth, with no sign of their mystery man. So on July 5th, detectives returned to the neighborhood for more canvassing efforts, which turned up some good leads. They talked to another neighbor, a guy named Al Vernon, who said that he was driving his tractor by the Snyder house at around 5.30 p.m. on the 1st, and he didn't see any cars in the driveway. But when he drove past the house again about 20 minutes later, there was a white car parked outside. Now, presumably, this is Tira's car. 
There was another neighbor who saw Al Vernon out on his tractor that day, which helped confirm the timeline. But even more interesting, this other neighbor said that he thought he'd heard someone screaming near the Snyder house at around 5.30 or 6. Al Vernon also shared something interesting with detectives. It turns out Tira's husband, Dave Snyder, wasn't the only Dave Snyder who lived in the area. He was one of two. And the other Dave Snyder, who lived just a few miles away, was rumored to have ties to a biker gang. The insinuation Al was making was one the neighborhood quickly latched onto for a possible motive. Maybe Tira was killed by mistake. Busy parents have enough on their plates without adding your children's homework to the list as well. IXL is an excellent resource for homework help, which is especially nice for parents who are rusty on school info themselves. And methods have changed over the years, too. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. It's designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. And you get one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. There's a reason why IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. From studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. A month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring, so now you could get your child the help they need at an affordable price. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And the deck listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash deck. Visit IXL.com slash deck to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When it comes to your health, there should be no compromises. Don't go back to that doctor who doesn't fully listen to you or rushes through your appointment. Instead, check out ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Search by location, availability, and insurance. No compromises. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. And you don't have to wait forever to get in with someone good. When I looked online, the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score some same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash deck and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash deck. ZocDoc.com slash deck. It's possible that whoever killed her meant to kill the other Dave Snyder's wife. And this idea was bolstered among locals when they found out both Dave Snyders shared more than just a name and a neighborhood. They also had a mutual connection, a man named Danny Snyder. Now, Danny is the brother of our main Dave Snyder, the one married to Tira. Investigators know that other Dave, the Dave who was rumored to be in a gang, they know that he knew Danny too, but they're not 100% sure how they were first connected. They assume that it was likely just through them both being from the same area. Over the next few days, detectives caught up with other Dave and his wife, Evie. And Evie gave detectives a bit of a weird statement about the day of Tira's murder. Here's Detective Bill you reading it. 
On July 1st of 1985, shortly after 6 in the evening, I left my residence to drive to Tira Snyder's residence so that I could pay her for my Tupperware. As I approached her house, for a reason unknown to me, I shielded my eyes and drove by. I did notice that her car was there and that the space next to her car was empty. I went to the state park nearby for a short time and then I spent the rest of the time at the boat launch a little further south. When I drove back by Tears residence, the aid truck and one fire truck were there. I then continued on home. So Evie puts herself driving to Tira's house just as the murder is happening, shielding her eyes for who knows what reason. This gives me flashbacks to Darlene Hulse's story from The Deck Investigates. There was a person that our crime assessment expert homed in on for this very reason. But maybe it means nothing. Maybe she was just sharing what had happened, even if there is no logical explanation for it. Evie's husband, Other Dave, didn't have anything meaningful to add about the day Tira was murdered. But he did give detectives some interesting information about the day before. He told investigators that Tira's brother-in-law, Danny Snyder, and another person named Leonard Maine were over at his house, and Danny was acting a little off. The guys were drinking a little wine and beer and smoking some weed, and Danny started talking about problems he was having with his wife. Danny claimed to have put a gun to his wife's head and told her not to give him any more crap. Now, this story is alarming on its own, but there was a specific small detail within the story that gave investigators pause. That gun that Danny pulled on his wife, it was a 22 caliber, the same type that killed Danny's sister-in-law, Tira. Before going straight to Danny, though, detectives first tracked down Leonard Maine to hear his side of the story. And Leonard confirmed what they had already heard. He even added a little more. He told them that before they'd gone to other Dave's house, he and Danny Snyder had been out target shooting using Danny's 22 caliber pistol. Not proof of anything, no, or not yet anyway, but they knew that they needed to get their hands on that gun. The detective then asked Leonard where he had been on July 1st and At first, he said he couldn't remember, and then he said he thought he worked with his dad that day, and then he was like, oh, wait, no, actually, I was fishing on Lake Rosiger with my sister-in-law, Kathy. And then Leonard was like, you know, now that you mention it, I also rode by the Snyder house that afternoon. They're out on the lake, and they discovered they'd forgotten their cigarettes. So they troll back to the park, which is, you know, just south of the Snyder house. And there is a little quaint little store, the Lake Rosiger store. Anybody who lives on the lake stops by that store. It's, it's almost out of a Hallmark movie. And Maine says he hitches a ride on a horse from the park up to the store to get cigarettes, leaving his sister-in-law Kathy in the boat, I guess. So he says he went by the Snyder house at 3 p.m. and everything looked normal. He says Tira's car was in the driveway and the sliding glass door was open. And he said it looked the same on his way back. Leonard told detectives that he and Kathy got done fishing and went by the Snyder house again at 6.30. But that time, he didn't pay any attention to what cars were there. Police weren't sure what to make of Leonard's statement or Evie's or the other Dave's for that matter. All they could do at that point was track Danny down. And when they did, he was surprisingly forthcoming. He confirmed everything police had heard about him up until that point. 
He said he was target shooting with Leonard Maine on the 30th before going over to Dave and Evie Snyder's house and talking with the guys about his relationship problems. And yes, he did threaten his wife with a 22 caliber revolver. But, Danny said, that gun was one he borrowed. It was his dad's. And his dad had already turned it over to authorities after they found the shell casings in the driveway the day of Tira's murder. Police did eventually do ballistics testing on that gun, but they determined it wasn't the one that fired the shots that killed Tira. They even saved all the test firings from this gun and resubmitted them for testing recently to verify their results. Danny also had an alibi for the murder, or ish. He said he worked until 5 p.m. on July 1st in Seattle and couldn't remember exactly what he did after work. But he could remember that he was asleep when he got the call that Tira had been shot. If Danny was getting off work in Seattle at 5, the earliest he could have been getting to Lake Rosiger was 6 p.m. And that's if there was no traffic, which was unlikely at rush hour on a Monday. So Danny was seeming like another dead end. But even though that didn't lead them anywhere, or the whole gang angle didn't either, they had heard something else along the way that might give them a new avenue to pursue. It was related to something concerning Tira shared before her death. There is a conversation that she had with her best friend prior to her murder where she told her best friend that she had gone to see her pastor at the local Seventh-day Adventist church here in Everett, where she told her pastor she feared for her life. So police went straight to the source, Pastor Osborne. He had very little information. He thought perhaps that Tira had told him that around February of 1985. He checked his appointment book, but could not locate an actual date and time that Tira had paid him a visit. Unfortunately, the case file doesn't provide any written statement from Pastor Osborne. But there are notes that say that Tira told him she was afraid because she had told somebody some information that may have caused a person to go to jail. Ultimately, the pastor honestly wasn't much help because he didn't recall Tira being more specific than that. And listen, I know this feels like a ridiculous lead to just brush over, but when we asked Detective Bill you about it to try and get more information, He said that when he last attempted to track down Pastor Osborne for a fresh statement, he called the Seventh-day Adventist Church, where the pastor worked in 1985. But someone answered and said that that name didn't even ring a bell, suggesting that police might have the wrong church or congregation. So, Pastor Osborne, if you're out there, police would love to talk to you again. Without him, investigators tried to see if there was anybody connected to the Snyders that raised any red flags by learning more about them. And they did. They found out that Tira's husband, Dave Snyder, dabbled in some small-time pot dealing. And they eventually tracked down somebody who said that Tira had an encounter with one of her husband's clients that made her uncomfortable. And it says as follows. I was talking to Tira about two weeks before her death. She said that came up to her house and begged her to give him some pot. So she did, and I think she said about $40 worth. Then she told me if I saw him to get the money back. Reading between the lines in that statement, it sounded to me like he just showed up. And she's like, here, just go away. When I ask Dave Snyder, he remembers the name, but he doesn't ever remember him coming to the house. 
we were asked to refer to this guy by his initials, J.H. Now, according to Dave Snyder, yes, he did sell weed. But he never had his buyers come to the house, he said. He would meet them at different, more neutral locations, and he was super selective about who he sold to. So he says it was a small group of people. What made this tip extra interesting, though, was that J.H. matched the composite sketch police had put out. So on July 24th, detectives interviewed J.H., but he denied owning a 22 caliber gun. He couldn't remember where he'd been on the day of the murder, but he did recall learning about Tira's death on July 2nd. So again, another dead end. The rest of the year passed with little movement. Dave couldn't bring himself to move back into the house, so he and Molly stayed with family, and their house sat empty. It was burglarized once, if not twice, in the months after Tira's murder, but as far as police can tell, the crimes weren't actually connected. Just bad people taking advantage of a family in an awful situation. By the end of 1985, there was one last person investigators needed to interview. Someone who actually checked quite a few of the investigative boxes, but had sat on kind of the fringes of the family, which is why he wasn't interviewed sooner. Now, similar to J.H., we can't use his real name. But we did get permission to use his initials as well. So I'll refer to this person as M.H. M.H. was married to Tira's sister, Shannon, at one point. But according to Shannon, he was extremely abusive, so they were estranged at the time of Tira's murder. Here's Tira's sister, Shannon, explaining her relationship with M.H. We weren't together. We weren't together for a reason. He was very much into drugs, dealing cocaine. And I had wanted to be so far away from him. I didn't want that in my life. I had a new baby and was pregnant. And um, needed away from him. Um, I don't even, I don't remember if he was even at the funeral. I don't recall. Detective Bill, you said that The thing that made investigators' feelers go up about M.H. was not just his violent past, but also the fact that he took a somewhat random solo road trip out of town the day after Tira was murdered. Now, police did actually get a statement from him pretty soon after the murder, and he told them that, yeah, he had left town, but he claimed that he came back after a day or two. So his sister-in-law has just been murdered, And it's not a sister-in-law that he only knew through marriage. These folks all grew up by each other. So has known Shannon and Tira for years. So it's not just his grieving estranged wife, it's his extended family and extended friends that are now grieving the loss of Tira. And takes a solo road trip to Eastern Washington. Something detectives kept coming back to was the fact that Tira didn't park in her usual spot in her driveway. Some speculate that she did that because someone else, someone she knew, was parked in her spot when she got home that day. So when I think about in the potential theory of did she come home and recognize a vehicle, therefore comfortable enough to walk in, take her shoes off, and then confront a known person. Whoever killed her put a lot of bullets in her. And a number of those bullets appear to have come when she was down on the ground on her back. Is that consistent with a burglar who just got caught burglarizing a home? Or is that more consistent with somebody you know who's 
who's angry with you or has some sort of emotional attachment to you and is venting their anger at that moment. And remember the old truck a witness described seeing at Tira's house that day? Well, M.H. has a thing for old trucks. Like, old trucks are his main hobby. Can you see what if what trucks were registered to him back then? Potentially. I don't know if our Department of Licensing has records back that far. I am very suspicious of He has not been eliminated. Tira's case slowed way down after the MH lead. Detectives were working different angles related to MH, but I think the theory lacked a real motive. I mean, there were some rumors that maybe he liked Tira. So I think the thinking was like, oh, did she turn down his advances? And then he killed her out of rage. I mean, that could happen, but they just didn't have anything concrete pointing to that. And it's not like he would have shown up there for anything related to his drug dealings. MH was into cocaine, and police said Dave only dealt weed, nothing harder. They also couldn't ever connect him to a 22, so no murder weapon, no motive, just a lot of speculation that continued to linger. In 1986, Tira's family put up a $20,000 reward for any information that could help them get closer to figuring out what happened to her. And they did their absolute best to try and keep their close family unit together. Here's Tira's mom recalling that time. The whole family rented a cabin at Lake McMurray. And um, we just, not only our family, but like my mother-in-law. And she came and we um, just kind of bonded together as a family. And um, I cried a lot. They had each other, but in the years that followed, they still wouldn't have answers. Nothing even came close. That is, until 1991, when a tip came in that said four men had been at a bonfire party bragging about killing Tira. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on TheRealReal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000-plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code DECK at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Detectives zoomed in on the four individuals that were named. Two brothers, Lyle and Lloyd Bogart, their cousin Byron Bowman, and an acquaintance of theirs, Jim Gilligan. 
Now, the Bogart family name was familiar. Detective Bill Yu said that they're a large family in Snohomish County, and anyone who's worked in law enforcement there for more than a few years knows the Bogarts. But the tips that were coming in relating to Tira's murder were mostly second or third hand. Well, the Bogarts and Bowman were prolific burglars, and they were committing burglaries frequently all over the county, including the Granite Falls, Lake Rosiger area. So much so that the investigation resulted in some of the Bogarts going to prison for burglars. But none of the investigations resulted in any evidence connecting the men to Tira's death. And the case detectives had started to build against this suspect group started to fall apart when they realized that the ringleaders had pretty solid alibis. Lloyd was living in Turner, Oregon, which I think is near Salem. The day of the murder was contacted on a traffic stop by the Turner Police Department. Not only did Lloyd have proof he was in another state the day that Tira was killed, he also had gotten medical treatment after a motorcycle crash on July 1st, 1985, in Oregon, and he had the receipts to prove it. But what about Lyle Bogart? Well, he also had an alibi, though it wasn't quite as strong. And you guys aren't going to believe this, but Lyle was also in a motorcycle crash that ended up being a huge part of his alibi. Over Memorial Day weekend in 85, Lyle was in eastern Washington and got into an accident and broke his leg. The next day, he traveled back here to Everett and sought treatment at what's now called Providence Hospital in the north end of town. And he ended up in a full leg cast. When did he get it off? Well, that's, that's one of the unanswered questions. We have theorized, could Lyle Bogart continue with his residential burglary ways with the cast on? I suppose so. It'd be difficult. He was, by more than one account, on crutches with a full leg cast. Now, could Lyle's leg have been healed between late May and late June, enough for him to be back out committing crimes by July 1st? It's hard to say. There's some information that he may have removed the cast himself at times and then had medical professional reapply a cast for whatever reason. So there's no definitive answer as to when the cast came off, Lyle Bogart. But we have police reports and medical documents showing that both of these Bogarts, Lyle and Lloyd, did receive injuries, broken legs, one in eastern Washington, one in Oregon, on the date of the murder or in close proximity. Detectives didn't want to drop the Bogart angle altogether. Because what about their associates, Byron Bowman and Jim Gilligan? They decided to give both of them polygraphs. Gilligan passed two different tests, but Bowman showed deception during questions like, were you involved or were you present or do you know who killed Tira? Interestingly, Bowman was released from jail in early June 1985, and he couldn't account for his exact whereabouts on July 1st. But he claimed that he was living clear on the other side of the state in Spokane, Washington, with his girlfriend. Now, the Bogarts were also polygraphed, and each of their results came back mixed. Lloyd's test was inconclusive, and Lyle showed deception when asked, were you involved or present? Not exactly hard evidence linking them to Tira's murder. Though there was something linking them to Tira herself, at least potentially. Another twist in this investigation is that the Snyders, the Bogarts, and the Bowmans all grew up 
in relative close geographical proximity to each other and knew of or knew each other growing up. Detectives submitted several items to the FBI lab. Recovered fired bullets from Tira's body during her autopsy, carpet samples, blood, hairs, metal fragments, some fibers, and gunpowder. But not much came of it. So going into 1992, investigators were at a bit of a standstill. Until a weird development popped up. Rumors started swirling that a 22 revolver with ties to the Bogart family was being tossed around like a hot potato. And this is a little wild, but this gun managed to find its way onto a Russian merchant ship in the port of Seattle and took a ride all the way over to Russia, which back in the 90s would have been the Soviet Union. And somehow, some way, the State Department and the customs got involved and recovered the gun. And it was transported back here to the sheriff's office. And there was a bit of a fanfare event in the then elected sheriff's office with Detective Slack and one of the members of the media. Remember the customs with the local media where they actually took a picture. He's not kidding. This development dominated regional news when it happened. Headlines read, Weapon linked to murder confiscated in Russia. But be careful what you print and careful what you read. Because the gun was sent to the lab for ballistics testing, and it was determined that this 22 caliber revolver was not the gun that killed Tira. So once again, investigators weren't able to find the probable cause they needed to seal the deal with the Bogarts and Bowman. So that was that. In 1993, the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office, in conjunction with the prosecutor's office, opened up an inquiry court proceeding. Basically, Washington state's equivalent to a grand jury. The proceeding was top secret, so I don't know what happened. All I know is that it didn't result in anyone being prosecuted for Tira's murder. After that, Tira's case came to a screeching halt, and it stayed like that for more than a decade. By 2008, Tira Snyder's face, name, and details of the crime against her were printed in the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office cold case deck in hopes of doing what we know these cards are intended to do, spark up conversation and try to generate fresh leads. Nothing significant came from it, but just the exercise of putting together the deck got a new generation of detectives revisiting and retesting old evidence in some of their cases, Tira's being one of them. In 2009, the Budweiser beer can that was found in the Snyder's driveway was tested, and they were able to generate a partial male profile from it. All we know about that was they compared it to Tira's husband, Dave, and it wasn't a match to him. Now, it's unclear if other samples had been tested back in 2009 against the profile, but in recent years, investigators have been unable to collect reference samples from any persons of interest. Detective Bill Yu took over Tira's case in 2018, and he got to work doing fingerprint comparisons, and he even revisited the partial profile on that beer can. With even more advanced testing, that beer can partial profile was determined to actually be a mixture from two contributors. But the major contributor is male. They were able to separate the profiles out and run the male profile through CODIS, but there weren't any hits in the database. In May of 2021, police tried to resubmit some of the fired bullets for ballistics testing at the Washington State Crime Lab. And that helped narrow down the type of gun that could have been used to kill Tira. 
but the details of those gun brands and types is being kept under wraps. In 2022, Detective Bill Uri submitted the carpet samples to the lab, and they were able to isolate blood on the sample that belonged to Tira. But they also obtained a partial profile from another spot that indicated it belonged to Tira and an unknown contributor who wasn't Dave, and it wasn't a match for the profile from the Budweiser beer can. Tips in Tira's case over recent years have been minimal. Detective Bilyeu is still working on trying to get more DNA evidence off the carpet squares. And he's doing as many comparison testings as possible with the partial profiles and the latent prints. While there have been a handful of suspects, Detective Bilyeu doesn't believe that the motive was robbery. And honestly, something about that motive just isn't landing right with me either. Especially considering Tira had said explicitly that she was scared for her life in the months leading up to her death. And let's say she interrupted maybe a burglary in progress. To shoot her as many times as they did in such close range feels excessive. And Detective Bilyeu agrees. He believes the way she was murdered indicates that this wasn't a random attack. I think this was one person. One person. Somebody who had a beef with Tara. You don't shoot a 19-year-old girl like that to just get away That's personal. 19 years old. A wife, a new mom, a daughter, a sister. For her family, Tira's legacy lives on through Tira's daughter, Molly. The whole family just adores Molly, and we all adore each other. She, she's very special to us, and especially since she looks so much like her mother. At first, it was so hard, and it still is hard. Even after all these 36 years, 37 years, it's made me really turn towards the Lord. And um, a lot of our family has become Christians because we know she's up there with God. And um, that's where I want to be someday, with her and God. If you know anything about the 1985 murder of Tira Snyder in Snohomish County, Washington, please call 425 425- 388-3845 or submit an anonymous tip by visiting the link in our show notes. The Deck is an audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? The Living Room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Love is more than a day on the calendar or a sign-off on a letter. Love starts with you. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that radiate with your love from every angle. With Pandora's vast selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms, there's endless ways to show what's in your heart. Write a love note to yourself or your best friend with handwritten charms or a personal engraving. 
Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love.